The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. It was 25 years ago today, as I'm sure you're aware, and just four months after the Good Friday Agreement, that a car bomb was detonated in Oma by the real IRA, claiming the lives ultimately of 29 men, women, and children, among them a woman heavily pregnant carrying twins. Two people with deep connections to that awful day a quarter of a century ago are the novelist and the newspaper columnist Martina Devlin and Nicola Emery, who was on the street that fateful day. You're both very, very welcome uh, to the show and thank you both uh, for taking the time to speak to us. Martina, if I can start with you, you are you are of OMA, but you weren't in OMA. You were, in fact, in Dublin and dispatched to OMA in the wake of the bomb. Is that right? That's right. I was born in OMA and most of my family we're still living there. Um, I, I received a phone call from Dublin, in fact, because phone lines were down in Oma and mobile phones weren't commonplace in uh, 1998. So information was patchy. Um, one of my brothers was actually listed among the missing. I grabbed an overnight bag and drove north from journalist. You know, drove north from Dublin in the odd position of being both a journalist reporting on the disaster and you know a local person just absolutely filled with dread for the people I grew up alongside. Um, I went straight to as close as I could get to the town's main street and it was an apocalyptic landscape. Buildings were crumbling and collapsing, craters were gaping, water was gushing from a burst mains, there was glass crunching underfoot and there was a, a recovery operation underway. At this stage, the worst injured were being either flown or driven to hospitals in Belfast and Derry. Um, The army barracks had become a makeshift morgue and there was a sports centre nearby which was being used as an information centre. There was a small local hospital in Oma as well where the injured were being uh, cared for too. But I suppose it was a catastrophe on a scale that a small town just would not have been expected to deal with. What I remember about that time in particular is waiting in the sports centre with people who had to cross the road to identify their loved ones in the morgue in Lissanelli barracks, and that was appalling for them. Um, I remember that Michael Gallagher, whose 21-year-old son Aidan was killed, was there, and he spoke afterwards about how not only did he have to identify his son, but he had to go home and tell his wife and the other kids. Uh, and I remember keeping company with a young man um, who was about to go over and identify his 16-year-old brother, Alan Radford. And he was just walking, walking, walking. And he couldn't sit still. He couldn't stop moving. And he kept saying, I know it's him, I know it's him. And Alan had been shopping with their mother, Marion, who was alive but injured. And, you know, there was a lot of hubbub, but I remember watching for uh, Alan's brother to come out of the morgue and I just caught his eye and he nodded and then he went off. There were people who had to do very hard things that day, Mm. Um, you know. And then the thing about that day was... It was a hot afternoon, one of the sunniest in the year, and almost a market town with a big townland around it. And it was absolutely crammed with Sunday afternoon shoppers. 
And they traveled in from the surrounding villages and people were buying school uniforms for their kids because it was almost back to school. But many of the others were trying on clothes, jeans, footwear, or they were meeting friends. And one of the little details that sticks in my mind is that Aidan Gallagher had just bought a pair of boots and he went and put them into his car and he came back to the town to his friends and his sister Kat still has that pair of boots today. You know, the, the footwear yeah. survived, but Aidan didn't. He would be 46 if he was still alive. And that's the other thing about Oma. You know, all those kids, kids from Donegal, kids from Spain, and also from Oma, you know, who, who just didn't grow up and have an opportunity to get married, have children of their own, have normal lives. What, what was the drive up? from Dublin like Martina because you know if that were happening now you know the the information would be kind of uh, it would be almost suffocating there'd be so much of it mm. you know mm. uh, and, and people sharing images uh, online you would have known what the devastation might have looked like even before you got there you might even have had news of your brother uh, back then you were I, I t- from the moment you left Dublin probably to the moment you arrive you're almost in an information vacuum That's exactly what it was. I just didn't know. I heard there was a bomb. I had the radio on. I was getting very patchy information, but I simply didn't know. And I was trying to ring home as well. And I mean, the phone lines were down, so you just didn't know. I did see amateur video footage from the immediate aftermath of the explosion. And what I noticed that survivors just looked dazed in many cases. They were standing there staring. And then there were others who had the appalling experience of scrambling through the rubble for their companions. And the air was smoky. And that gave it a surreal aura. Well, one of those survivors is with us, Nicola Emery. Nicola, you're welcome to the show as well. Um, Hello. Can you... Tell us why you were in town that day and talk us through your experience. What happened? Um, hello, everybody. Well, I was in town that day. Um, I was nine months pregnant and I was to go in on the Monday to have my baby because I had uh, high blood pressure. So I decided on the Saturday that me and my aunt and my cousin would go up to my mum's work in Oma town we asked her to meet up and go for tea and some dessert. And um, so we were in the Carton Bakery. It's up near where the courthouse is in Oma. And we were just about to sit down. The police came in and said, um, could you evacuate, please? There's a bomb scare up, up the courthouse. So everybody got up and everybody was in good spirits. As Martina said, it was a lovely sunny day and everybody thought like it was a hoax. And so we walked up the town a bit away from the courthouse and we were, uh, up where Super Value is and they put up a cordon and we, we, everybody was laughing again, joking and carrying on. And um, the, the police came over and said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to move these all down to the bottom of the town because the cordon has to be moved. Um, so we then all walked down the bottom and me and my mum and my cousin, my aunt was standing not too far from where the car was, about 
maybe three shops down at the very bottom of the town. Mm. And I went to cl- cross the road to go to the other side. It's where the Cozy Corner it was called. And the next minute, all I could feel was like silence, eeriness. Um, like, just as if there was su- suction, you know, took out of the air. Mm. And um, the next minute, crying, squealing, as alarms going off in buildings, rubble, smoke. Um, I was lying on the ground, didn't know what had went on. My ears were ringing. Went, got up straight away, walked over to my mum. Her feet was very badly injured. Um, they were bleeding, sliced open. My cousin was missing. Me and my aunt couldn't find him. I thought about my unborn baby. I thought, is this, is this baby living? Is the blast killed her? Um, just, we didn't know. We searched the shop window for my cousin. He had run with the blast down the down Campsie to the bridge and the workmen made him turn. I said to my auntie, oh, is that his, we could see body parts, people laying. And she says, no, Nicky wasn't wearing this. He hadn't that colour sock on. Finally, he appeared. He was in shock. Um, my mum, we got my mum up and a work colleague of hers drove us straight out to the Tyrone County Hospital. We were took to different sections of it and mum was took away in a car to Enniskill and then she spent another three and a half weeks in the Royal I was taken into the waiting area of the Throne County A&E and they, these two ladies, I think they were social workers, they got a ultrasound and they listened to see could they get a heartbeat. And we were so happy, yes, we heard the heartbeat and we knew she, the baby was okay and... They offered to take me by helicopter to Dungannon, but I said, no, I've heard the baby's heartbeat. I'm happy that, mm. you know, the baby's okay. I said, use it for someone that really, really needs it. And so my grandfather offered to take me. And at that stage, my dad had appeared and other family members. Um, so we were took straight then, drove up to the Dungannon Hospital, was took in and scanned and, yep. Yeah, Everything was healthy. It was a miracle, they said, um, because that last and how close I was to it. And the only injury I had was my leg had a, a bit of a cut to it. Mm. And then my ears were ringing and like debris and stuff. We cuts in your head, you know, just like your scalp. Yeah. So, um, no, the employee was, I was let out on the Monday to go and visit my mum because she was in the royal. And then, Chloe was, I went back to Dungan Hospital that night and Chloe was born then on the Thursday. Wow. Healthy baby girl, 7.6. A healthy baby girl with the middle name Hope, is that right? Yes, Chloe Hope Valerie. Um, she, I picked the Hope name because I got hundreds of letters and cards and presents from all over the world. And everybody had put in name suggestions. 
Oh, it'd be lovely if you called her this. That we that name would be a symbol. So I decided I would add in the name Hope. And then I called her Valerie after my mum because she was badly hurt her feet and stuff. Ah, well, it, I mean, it's such an uplifting ending to what is such an awful, awful experience. And an experience, yeah. I, I assume uh, that it, I, you know, there was a distraction for a few days, if that's the right way to describe it. I don't want that to sound kind of trivial or, or kind of flippant almost, kind of a, a, a um, description of, 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 of bringing Chloe into this world. But yeah. to a degree, did it kind of, did it delay maybe processing everything that you had seen? I mean, that, that, that must follow you around. It must live with you to this day, does it? Yes. Well, when she was born, like, we were so happy and so over the moon that she was healthy. But when I was in the hospital, I spent five days after that. Um, like, it was on the TV uh, about how the death toll, about the injured about what had happened. So that's really how I found out my information because I was took straight to the hospital and like I wasn't back in Oma then for oh maybe ten days. And then had family members calling up and they had been telling me about everything that went on. But I was I was kinda lucky in a way too that Chloe, you know, did distract me from it because it was in this newborn baby bubble you know and it did help my mum recover too and and it helped the family having her her being born healthy and and she gave us a, like a sense to carry on mm. how oh. different because uh, you know Martina described so well the, the devastation that uh, on kind of uh, unveiled itself to her as she uh, reached Oma that day. What was it like when you went back, Nicola? Like a few, a few, a few days post birth. Well, I don't know when the next time you were in the town was, but can you tell me about that? Well, I remember my dad picked me up that day at the hospital, and um, we went up straight. As soon as we got out, we went straight to the Royal and Belfast to shore to my mum. Then we came down the road, and I remember when we, we had to go through Yuma, the town, at the bottom of the town, I remember first seeing everything boarded up. You couldn't see up the town because of all this boarding where the damage had been done and where the people had died. And I just I just felt sad. And I, I just couldn't believe what had happened. That a bomb had went off. And never in my life would I have thought that would be in a bomb, never. Just couldn't get over it. I guess in the scale of of that devastation, is that a quarter of a century on, I still think people can't really believe it. It happened, particularly when it happened so soon after the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, listen, yeah. Nicola. Um, again, this might sound trite, and I don't mean it that way. You're very brave to to share the story. Um, uh, today uh, you have been over the last 25 years so thank you for taking the time to speak to us and Martina thank you so much as well Could I just say finally that you, you know uh, the the bomb was regarded as you know an attack on a community by Oma people and no one from the town was left untouched by it um, it was an attack on decency and neighbourliness 
But people didn't break under the strain. You know, if anything, bonds were soldered. Uma is an ordinary country town in many ways, but its people behaved in an extraordinary way during adversity uh, and the way they handled this. Um, and, and I think that's important. And as well that Oma people want their town to be more than one which suffered carnage. They want it to be a town which survived it. And it did. That's very well said, Martina. Listen, thank you both so much, Martina Devlin, novelist and newspaper columnist, and Nicola Emery. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.